Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast, where we rank every story from A is for Adam to Z is for Zach. Oh, I don't even get to introduce myself. Okay. You've introduced yourself like a hundred times. <laughs> we can get over it. Hi guys, it's us. It's us. And uh, man, we really have a, a very uh, uplifting theme for this week, don't we? Yeah, we're going to talk about, uh, well, if you didn't pick up on it, then it's weird that you're listening to this. Honestly, it's a very famous story. Uh, We're talking about E is for Extinction, uh, (laughs) and that's our springboard. Uh, I know that last week we mentioned that we were going to have uh, Brian Hill on the show to talk about Fallen Angels, uh, but unfortunately there was a last-minute scheduling conflict Uh, in, in a weird, in a weird just set of downer moods for my Tuesday night. I had three podcast people that I was supposed to record with and all of them had to bail out for one reason or another. <laughs> That's okay. So the, here we are. And uh, this is, um, we're going to do a track by track breakdown of the 1999 Busta Rhymes album, Extinction Level Event, The Final World Front, uh, featuring uh, singles like Is They Wild and With Us, and uh, I hope everybody's ready for that. A little change of pace. Um. We figured we'd figured that in honor of Grant Morrison, we would uh, we would mess with the format a bit of this show. See <laughs> see if we could try a few things out. Uh, we obviously had the bonus Boko No X Men or Boko No X anime episode mixed in the feed, so we're already uh, kind <laughs> of throwing things in there. Yeah, no, no, we're not we're not doing any of no, that. No, we're not uh, doing that. We are talking about a story thanks to one Christian Smith who went on over to Patreon.com, and he just just went deep, went deep into his wallet and said, I got at least two bucks. And that at least two bucks got in this episode. And Adam, what's the last thing you bought for two bucks? Oh, geez. Uh, like, a, a wa- I think a bottle of water at Man, 7-Eleven. <laughs> yeah, man, why is water so expensive now? It's it's everywhere, right? Like it's I in know. oceans. And I, I was, you know, I'm just paying to pollute. It's terrible. Yeah, we're all we're all fallen angels on this world. <laughs> uh, but no, we'll get through it. Uh, so, first story that we're talking about this week is E is for extinction. This is written by Grant Morrison with beautiful art by Frank Quitely. Oh yeah, three issues. Right, new X Men one fourteen to one sixteen. Yes, yeah. I didn't. You know, it, it's funny. Like I, I read this again earlier today, and I felt like I knew what I was going to be reading, and then I reread it, and I was like, "Oh wait, that's not how that happens." Like it, it rolled out in a way that uh, I had kind of forgotten, and it was really good. Here's here's what I what has kind of come to me in rereading this. Now, I am I am a well well known Grant Morrison X Men fan. Oh yes. I, I think it's the bomb.com, uh, which sounds like something a Grant Morrison character in 1998 would say, <laughs> unironically, uh, semi-ironically. I think a Warren Ellis character would say it unironically, or <laughs> yeah, whatever. What what this story, this is the opening of his run, and I think beyond anything else, 
this story is a statement. Oh yeah. This is this is probably the biggest statement up until this point in X-Men history. It was saying this is going to be very different. Like the the closest thing I can think to that has this much of a this is what we are now is the Jim Lee Claremont X-Men number 1. And even that was pretty much saying, "Hey, we're still going to do the stuff you like only more." Well, there's such a redefinition here. I mean, from the get-go, we're getting a new definition of uh, how many characters are going to be on this quote-unquote team. So we're going to get this streamlined version of, you know, five or six characters. And the bulk of these issues is spent with Cassandra Nova. So we're really doing a a real reevaluation of what is supposed to be happening in this book. And it's fascinating. Yeah, so... What happens? It opens up with Wolverine and Cyclops fighting a Sentinel, Cyclops shooting it, and Wolverine stabbing it a bunch. And Cyclops just looking up and saying, Wolverine, you can stop doing that now. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then we cut to 30,000 years ago. Um, which <laughs> which turns... is such a Grant Morrison thing. <laughs> Meta joke. Right, because... Deep in the past. Yeah, because uh, Cassandra Nova needs to... Um, Basically, what is she doing? She's sort of like making a copy of a Trask uh, family member's DNA so that his the, name's Donald Trask the third DDS. <laughs> so that the forgotten master mold that is making like the wild sentinels will respond to her commands so that she can wreak genocide on Genosha. To be fair, she did already convince uh, Donald Trask the third DDS. Uh, to just do a genocide. Like, that whole conversation that she's having with him is saying, look, you need to do genocide. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I really didn't think this is what I was going to be doing this morning. And it's like, uh, I don't know. Like, did he come to that on his own? Or is he being psychically manipulated? You're not sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about Cassandra Nova on this podcast too much yet. Uh, no, I, has she appeared in anything that we've ranked? Uh, the Astonishing X-Men Torn. Uh, oh, she's yes, on that. yes, we did talk about that, yeah. Uh, Cassandra Nova is Xavier's evil twin, but not really a twin, more of a psychic twin uh, that he fought at birth. We don't get that very good scene where he murders a baby, uh, but he's also a baby at the time, so it's okay, and it's all <laughs> philosophical and whatnot. Uh, yeah, it's is it clear whether that is a uh, a symbolic thing or? What? But that's not even in this story, so we really should. No, it's talk not. About it is symbolic. I'm pretty sure because that whole issue is. Oh my gosh, uh, we almost talked about the silent issue. Oh, that's uh, a great issue. Um, but it yeah, was because it, it was going to be quick to read, guys. I'm going to be honest. That was my entire <laughs> entire thought process. Was well, that one's like five minutes. <laughs> But we are getting the hints, right? You know, it's like, why does she look like you? And, uh, you know, Xavier doesn't have any of these answers. He's just as confused as anybody else. But we're also getting, like, just dropped into this world. Um, Beast has gone through a secondary mutation. Um, Later on, I had forgotten how Emma got introduced into this story. And I love that um, I had forgotten that Negasonic Teenage Warhead was here. Um, um, here's the thing. Can I say one thing about Negasonic Teenage Warhead? Yeah. I've had a lot of people who are legitimately upset 
that Negasonic Teenage Warhead in the Deadpool movies is different than Negasonic Teenage Warhead in the comics, as if Negasonic Teenage Warhead is some giant classic character with a huge arc and gravitas, and not a goth kid who says one line and dies, and you only remember her because her name's Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Yeah, because when she gets brought back and torn, it's not her. Yeah, Um, she's a ghost. She's a ghost memory. (laughs) And now she's... She has come back in the comics uh, because of that good, good Deadpool tie-ins money. But Yeah, but I know. do love that um, <laughs> Emma gets found in a hole in the ground and just kind of pops up as a diamond person. You know, like, yeah, she gets, she gets crushed. She gets crushed and all the pressure turns her into a diamond. Yeah. I mean, we're already seeing the roadmap here. We're seeing the tension between Scott and Jean and all and in their so marriage. Good. You know, and everybody's commenting on it. Um, We're seeing a different Xavier here. You know, one who's willing to put a bullet through his head to get Cassandra Nova out of his uh, out of his brain. Is this is this, Adam, the first time Xavier really felt like he had a purpose in the X-Men since like the beginning of the Silver Age? I mean, I I don't know. Uh, Xavier is always sort of like a... um, an interesting character like in the 90s they really tried to make him more of a team member you know he would actually go out onto some of the the missions and what have you but um he seems very vivid here in a in a way that he doesn't always you know i mean the what was the last time we saw him before this was in um in genosha right like tied to a cross with chains so this this is a, a real good redefining of uh, what this whole brand is going to be. And it, it's very well done from the action scenes, just the flow of Quitely's art. Um, we really yeah. didn't can mention we, can that Can we talk about Frank yet. for a second? Yeah, let's do it. It's amazing. Hey, y'all, I, I know you think Frank Quitely draws ugly people. Frank Quitely just draws people. Y'all's the one who are ugly. <laughs> we are all ugly. Frank Quitely draws us as we are. And I love it so much. He's a master of not only just the layouts and the amazing, like, just blocking and cartooning he does, but the acting and the emotion that he gets through his characters. It's so good. Frank is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite artists. He's very talented. Yeah, it's it's really interesting um, looking back at these again, having read uh, the, the quietly... Um, uh, Superman trades that he did. Um, All-Star Superman. All-Star? Yeah, because... Uh, All-Star Superman, also pretty good. Oh, it's amazing. Pretty good. It's so good. Um, but you can see some of the same storytelling techniques that he's using here in terms of some of the page layouts and um, some of the visual flair that we see here. But this just, it flows so well. You know, there's a, there's a quality of it where it doesn't even feel episodic from issue to issue. You just are along for the ride and it's, it's good. It's action packed. Um, but there's, there's definite gravitas to this and you're just, you're catching up with it as it's happening. Yeah. It's this, this truly was, if Grant Morrison went to the X-Men and said, I want to make you relevant for a generation i want you guys to feel important i want to do something big he succeeded more than anyone else uh except for maybe with the most recent stuff with hickman which is you know time will tell how that plays out 
Yeah. Um, that's all I can compare it to is like, that must have been what it's like. Like what we went through this summer and what we're enjoying now. That's got to be what it was like when 114 hit the stands and people who suffered through Alan Davis just trying to keep the ship afloat mm-hmm. and through all the fill-ins and all the junk that we got uh, to see, oh, X-Men, X-Men's super good and there's a lot of awesome ideas here and they just needed someone to push it forward. Yeah, it was so interesting what my original approach to this was because this came out while I was in college and I I wasn't reading X-Men at the time, um, but I do remember picking up the the trade of this or at least reading it. I don't I don't know if I bought it or not and going, "Oh, this is what X-Men is up to now? Like this is kind of nuts. Uh this is a whole different world than what I left it with back in, you know, the mid-90s." So, it it was a real sea change and uh I I think it changed the expectations of what the book could be in terms of its artistic merit and the the level of writing that you're getting with it as well. Yeah, um, guys, E is for Extinction is good. Like, say what you will about the rest of the Morrison run. I I, I don't think there is a bad thing to say about these three issues. It's so good. Oh, also, Genosha gets blown up. Y'all know that that happens, right? 16 million mutants do die. Yes, and it happens so quickly on page. Um, it, you know... I think that's one of the interesting things. I know that that act alone as a storytelling device has a lot of detractors, but I do think it's interesting in the way it's laid out. You know, um, Emma's classroom being taken out, um, Magneto seemingly like perishing because the um, Sentinel is crashing through his little hideout or whatever at the, at the top of the skyscraper. And then we get one splash page, of the the wild sentinel blowing everything up and then everything else is just a countdown you know it happens within like what four or five pages at most Mm -hmm. and it i think it helps the story that it's something very um uh, unstoppable you know it's something that happens so quickly that there's no way anybody really could have done anything about it it makes it seem much more vivid in terms of a horrific tragedy it and i know that this could not have been an intentional parallel at the time uh but mm-hmm. this came out almost like in line with september 11th so i'm sure that was on a lot of people's mind when they saw this it was this incomprehensible to you know this group of people this this tragedy you could not even like wrap your mind around and it was happening so quickly mm-hmm. and i think I, I it's it's a little bit of just you know synchronicity but it caught that exact zeitgeist of this is what now is mm. and the story is it, it is so powerful for that like i get that people don't like that a lot of mutants died well look who on Genosha died that you care about or no? Because the answer is Kitty Pride's dad and he sucked anyway. Well, I can understand why people would not be like super hyped up about, you know, using genocide as a storytelling technique. Um, but at the same time, I think that Morrison is very aware of the position that he wants his superhero team to be in at the end mm-hmm. of these three issues. You know, he wants there to be an escalation here and 
I, I don't think there's a better way of doing that than necessarily what he's doing here. He's he's showcasing a villain that is is not going to take 25 issues to do something diabolical that gets stopped by the X-Men. No, he's going to introduce a villain that is going to commit this, you know, this absolutely ungodly act um, in less than three issues. And no, they're not going to stop her. Like it looks like they have because Emma snaps Cassandra's neck at the end of the third issue, but that is Mm -hmm. not the end of the story. Not by far. Uh, The end of these three issues is a very good, almost in the background thing. You don't even notice and it's framed that way of this happening. Uh, But it all breaking down to Charles Xavier saying, uh, hi, my name's Charles Xavier, and I'm a mutant yeah. on live TV. Yeah. Which Another... I think that act alone, like, if you took everything else from Genosha and everything, just the decision of, hey, the X-Men's, they're, they, they aren't going to be hidden in the shadows anymore. They're going to have to live their lives publicly as mutants. I think that 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 changes every story. All right, so um, you want to take a look at ranking this thing? Because I just, I think this is top 10. I'm just going to say it. Um, I know we Here's... have, well, why don't, let's introduce the list. I'm getting ahead of ourselves. You are just a tad, just a tad, Adam, but I respect you anyway. Uh, <laughs> we're ranking every X-Men story that's ever existed. We have 294 of them on this list right now. We're on the road to 300. Uh, Not the Frank you know. Miller story. Not the Zack Snyder movie that I liked when I was 16, but really am afraid of going back to now. <laughs> I bet the action scenes are still dope. I bet there's a lot of weird fascist stuff in there that I'm, like, not super cool with. Uh, isn't um, isn't Gerard Butler still in that? Gerard Butler's been in that the whole time. He's very buff. He has a good beard. And he yells, this is <laughs> as he kicks a guy into a hole. And it's... Cersei Lannister is in there. She is. Uh, uh, what's his name? What's his name? Uh, Magneto's in it. Uh, Fassbender's in it. Yeah, Mike, Mikey Fassbender's in it. He I plays, only saw three hundred once. So he plays the the young hot soldier who gets his head chopped off at that one point and makes oh. his one eyed dad really sad. Oh boy, what an interesting guys! Thing. I'm sorry for spoiling three hundred. They all die. Uh, <laughs> it's right there on the poster. It is. Look, it's a very old story. It's hard to spoil history, I guess. Anyway, we have 294 stories on our list. Uh, uh, Dark Phoenix Saga is number one. Number 50 is Morlocks by Jeff Johns. Number 100 is Uncanny X-Men 143, Demon. 150 is Excalibur 91, that time they went to a bar. (laughs) Uh, Number 200 is Uncanny X-Men, Into the Void. Uh, 250 is Spider-Man Team-Up number one from the mid-90s, who I swear I can't tell you anything about it. I think it's Ben Riley, but I couldn't be sure about that. And then the Draco's at the bottom, and let's we're done. You think this is top ten, though, Adam? Well, we have um, Riot at Xavier's at number seven. And I, I love Riot at Xavier's, but I think it would be wrong to put this below Riot. Um, I really, think, Ooh, I want to hear. Okay. Um, and here's where I'm coming at with this, because this is, 
you know, you mentioned mutant Genesis before, right? And there are these landmarks along the way, you know, we've had our silver age debut. We've had giant size X-Men. Um, we've had big, bold statements like uh, dark Phoenix saga or God loves man kills. Um, inferno whatever the landmarks are under under claremont's role but the 90s had kind of really flattened out the franchise to a point where it didn't we weren't really sure what the heck it was anymore and whether you agree or not that this was a correct way to do it this was a redefining of what a new century of this franchise was going to be and i think it's really really successful um I think I like this better than Riot. Um, and I I still love Riot. I think the, the Quentin Quire storyline is fantastic. But this is before Morrison really starts getting into... It's not until the fourth issue that we start to really start get an idea of the um, the school aspect of Morrison's Yeah, that's run. not even added yet. Right. And I'll be honest with you. I like it better when it's just these five or six characters and we're not necessarily worrying about the extended cast yet. You know, um, huh? What, what's your take on this? Because if it's not top 10, where are you going with it? Cause th- we're talking about some of the tightest writing and tightest artwork that has ever graced an X book here. Well, Adam, I didn't say it wasn't top 10. Okay. Let's okay. let's be clear. Number 10 is Messiah Complex. Love that story. This is better than Messiah Complex. It is, yes. Number 9 is X-Men, worst X-Men ever. Again, love that story. This is better. Yep. Number 8 is Generation Next from Age of Apocalypse. Love that story. This is better. Yep. Number 7's Riot. Number 6 is Wolverine by Frank Miller and Chris Claremont. That's where that's where the I, list gets tough. I can't go above six because you know that's a character defining thing that is really like just put parameters on the entire franchise. And uh, and you know my love for number five as Guardian Wars. I can't put it above that either. But well, I no, I mean the yeah. the top the top here is nearly perfect comics. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's hard to argue with any anything up there. Uh, we got Asgardian War. At four is God Loves Me and Kills. At three is Astonishing X-Men Gifted. At two is Days of Future Past. And at one is Dark Phoenix Saga. What I would say, I would personally put this below Riot. You would put it above Riot. But I can't come up with an argument that beats the very good argument that you made. And also, if they're right next to each other, who cares? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just think for that, the riot story is four issues long. This is a very tight three issues. You know, you'd be hard pressed to find much better. You know what I mean? It's really, really smart. Um, And I think it's, it's more um, important, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like it is, it is more of a landmark than riot. So. And that's why it's our new number seven. Nice. Good showing, E is for Extinction. Surprising oh. no one, I hope. I Look, I, 
I don't know anyone who dislikes Eas for Extinction. Someone, I, I heard two people argue against it today. One of them, it made them sad that a lot of mutants died. And I said, that sounds like they did a good job telling the story they intended to tell then. Yeah. The other one was mad about the way it broke up, or it starts to break up Scott and Gene, and I rolled my eyes real hard because I think the way that Scott and Gene's marriage is shown in this is an incredibly realistic way for a marriage to go. It's very well written. It's very yeah. well written, and it's it's smart, and it shows evolution of these characters. So there, there's a nuance to it that you don't find in like anything else. No, absolutely not. Um, all right, so we just got done talking about one extinction story involving Cassandra Nova. Where do you want to go uh, next? Well, th- that's talking about Cassandra Nova and her wild sentinel, which is uh, crazy. Uh, but we're going to go to another story that surprising me has Cassandra Nova in it and also <laughs> is surprisingly kind of an adaptation of Ease for Extinction a little bit. Um, yeah, a little bit. So, we're going to talk about X-Men 92 from, I guess it's subtitled Battle World. Yes. Uh, This is the originally Marvel Infinite comic, then printed in print, of X-Men 92 that ran during Secret Wars. Uh, It's written by friend of the show, uh, Chris Sims and Chad Bowers, with art by Scott Koblish. Um... What was the format that you encountered this in originally? Because I only ever read this as an infinite comic. Like I never, I never read the print version of it. So what was your initial version of this that you got? I had it in print originally and it has the one in print has some, it's four uh, oversized issues all with beautiful Pepe Larraz covers. Oh, right. Uh, it's, yeah. It's Pepe Larraz doing early 90s X-Men, uh, which is incredible. Uh, so you read it first in the Infinite Comics, which, for people who don't know, were these mobile-optimized comics that Marvel did where you would just kind of swipe and panels would pop in and out. Uh, it's the only format of this that's available on Marvel Unlimited, so that's what you'll get digitally. And the reason I mention it is because I do recommend that people, if you have unlimited, read it in that format. Um, Because Koblish, I've read a couple of the Infinite comics. Um, You know, they—I don't think they're doing them anymore, to my knowledge. Right? I mean, that kind of went out the window. But it was a lot of extra work. It it is because it involves certain ideas, you know, that are akin to animation. um, You know, with. characters changing gestures or, or moving uh, one over top of each other uh, inlaid panels zoom in zoom out but i think koblish is probably the best person to have done the format like i kind this of this is the best infinite comic yeah like i kind of imagine that if there is a print version of this it almost needs to be not a pop-up book but it kind of has to have like folding pages and things like that to to really they, mimic they the reading some... experience they make some concessions in the print version. Yeah. Uh, like, there's there's one panel that I saw it shared online before I the print version came out because there was a little bit of a delay, mm-hmm. like a one-month delay. Uh, and, like, there's a there's a panel in the first issue of this where after, after a vigorous game of laser tag, uh, 
which is their danger room in this uh, scenario. Their danger room at the Westchester Mall. Yep. Uh, Jubilee does, you know, she brags about how she won, and then she makes a firework that says Jubilee wins. Mm-hmm. And I know that panel is not in the print version. Oh, okay. Okay. So so some, some selective editing has uh, gone on. Yeah, they had to make it work. Uh, yeah. We should probably... What's the what's the pitch of this? We don't really have to explain what Secret Wars was because uh, it's very irrelevant to this, except for some weird mentions of Doom and Baron Kelly and Thor's. Um, but yeah, what <laughs> the general premise of this is kind of bonkers. It's it's kind of a clash between the animated series. And... It's legally not though. It's legally not. <laughs> why not? I don't know that story. Is there a reason uh, why? Because because. Of... Because of rights. Rights, okay. So um, we're kind of getting the X-Men adventures here, but it, it's a lot different. Um, they Everybody kind of coexists harmoniously within a mall. And what's great about this is that the villain of this story is a Shadow King-possessed um, Cassandra Nova, who's essentially... Well, a Shadow King-possessed Apocalypse clone body of, of Xavier. Uh, that's yes, yeah, it's really complicated. Um, who is trying to lull the X-Men into con- basically following broadcast standards and practices so that they are no longer violent enemies. Which is something that the X-Men animated series has a lot had a lot of issues with, was following uh, broadcast standards and practices, uh, you know, editing things out about violence or saying I'm going to kill you or any of that stuff. And their main character has swords in his hands. So that was a challenge for them. Yeah. In uh, fact, uh, just to, uh, for folks who might be new to the show, if you go back, we did get a chance to um, interview the showrunners of X-Men, the animated series in our, in our first year. Um, and we talked to them a little bit about that and how it was very, very difficult to get certain things to happen on the show. I legitimately forgot about that. Like I knew it happened, man. We've been doing this show a while. We've got to do some cool stuff, dude. <laughs> no, that was great, right? Yeah, we also we also talked to one of the writers of this, Chris Sims, about some of those same things. Yes. Uh, it's it's really well done. Uh, it's it's viewing E is for Extinction through the lens of the '90s cartoon, which I think is a wild, wild idea. Not. Every idea lands in this book, I don't think. I mean, this was this was Simpson Bauer's first big two work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's still a little bit of rust on there. Well, rust is the wrong word. Uh, they just haven't broken themselves in yet in some cases. I think the pacing of it being eight infinite comics, which are like half the length of a comic, but you have to make it fill that whole story thing. It's just not how you normally write comics and how a lot of people get used to it. So they have to adjust how they're pacing out this story a bit. And I think in some cases, especially in the middle, they don't fully succeed at that. Well, the uh, the middle issues are almost individual character studies of, you know, like Wolverine or Storm or then, you know, Cyclops and Jean or, or Rogue and Gambit. So you you devote the majority of the time to that and then in the background you're getting this other story about x-force infiltrating cassandra nova's base um 
But what is cool about it is that Sims and Bowers are clearly huge fans of this franchise um, and use this as an excuse to throw in just about any cameo that they possibly can um, over the course of these eight issues. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gorgeous George is there. Slab is there. Maggot's there. Uh, Jay and Miles explain the X-Men are there. (laughs) That's true. I yes, yes, yes. Jubilee does explode them in the face, and they they have reached the <laughs> apex of all X Men podcasting, for which we do all aim for. Uh, hey, Leah, Vita, any anyone who kind of doesn't hate us, if you want to, if you want to draw us into a comic, that's cool. Jordan, <laughs> Jordan, Jordan. If your artist needs photo references, I've got some beautiful headshots I can send in. Just you need some goofus. Goofy guys for Wolverine to just stab in the gullet. I'm 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 your Huckleberry. <laughs> My money's on you before me in this situation, but uh I got uh, Adam, Adam, Adam. Uh, what what please. We're 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 a team, we're a we are a unit here. There can <laughs> we be, are a there matching like... sweater unit. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the dream scenario if we're wearing matching sweaters. That'd be great. All right, all right. So Xmas special 2020. Uh, there's a scene where where you and I are in front of an old folks' home doing Christmas caroling, and Wolverine runs out and stabs us. I love it. I love it. Perfect. I'm gonna work on it. I'm gonna no work real on context. it. I, I can no. I can I can work a story out around it. We'll figure it out. Anyway, uh, uh this is. It's a fun tale. This is a fun tale that's told. There's there's some interesting ideas yeah, in it's, it. It's very different from what eventually emerged out of the uh, the short lived follow up to this. But uh, it it was a blast. I, I think it's a really fun way to. I'm still kind of surprised that they did this. Like that this was one of the Battle World series because it's kind of bonkers. Um, it worked though. Like this is this is one of them that sold so well. They were like. We should we should give this a we should give this an ongoing yeah we should do a couple more trades of this yeah um, but it, it is absolutely wild like by the end you have Charles turning into onslaught on the astral plane to <laughs> to fight Shadow King it's it's but he's not powerful enough so he needs the power of his teammates and his friends so Cable and Psylocke and Jean Grey also come to the astral form and merge with Onslaught so that Onslaught has a big old cable gun. <laughs> big knife. A big knife and phoenix wings. And the Shadow King freaks out. He's like, that gun can't stop me. And he says, this bullets can't stop me. And he says, the, bu- the gun doesn't shoot bullets. The gun shoots you. <laughs> right. And pew, flies out into space, right? It's very good. Also, uh, also uh, Cassandra Nova... Uh, her plot involves uh, taking over Westchester uh, with the X Sentinel, uh, except for it's not X; it's ten. Right, there's <laughs> the ten, ten sentinel. sentinels kind of stapled together. It's great. It's the wild sentinel, but it's just ten sentinels stacked up against each other. I also appreciate that Jubilee is kind of like the hero of this story. Uh, she starts by winning the laser tag in the danger room, and then they finishes by blowing up the ten sentinel with a giant yeah. like cable bishop gun. Yeah, uh, Jubilee rules in this. Uh, <laughs> I like this story a lot. It's fun. I would never call it essential, and I actually wouldn't give this to a new reader. Well, there's too many. But there's too many nods. Like you, you have to like. 
I think you have to be at least aware a little bit of what was going on around the animated series and be a fan of the comic to really get the jokes. Yeah, it's like a it's like a full book full of in jokes and I <laughs> yeah. get them. So I love it. If you're an X-Men fan, though, you're going to love it. Like, I, I think that it's definitely worth seeking out if you have not read it yet. Uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, we've got we've got some other stories on our list uh, from this pair of Sims and Bowers. At 57, we have X-Men 92, 1 through 4. The world is a vampire. Do, 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 do. Um, would you... Do, do. Do you like this better than the first arc of the the follow-up? I like it better. I don't like it that much better. Okay, well, let's look at what's around there. Um, above that, we have Welcome to Genosha, which is the uh, first introduction of that. The it's nation where they state. get Welcome to Genosha. Yep. Um, I think we're, we're definitely in good company with What If Wolverine Was Lord of the Vampires at 55. Yeah, it's pretty darn close to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh I don't think this is better than number 53, X-Men Season 1. Nope. I don't either. How do you feel about it stacked up to uh, X-Men Legacy 208 to 210 from Genesis to Revelation? I think that's better. Uh, I I remember really thinking that was pretty well-crafted and, and very Oh, it's good. Well done We're in the continuity. 50s. All of these comics are good. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I do think that that Legacy... Uh, trio of issues was pretty solid how how do you think it stacks up against the what if issue it's like at the same level i know man was lord of the vampires i know it's it's here's what i want to here's what i would do i think i would give the edge to this if only because it's it's definitely playing with the same kind of like jokey um you know, atmosphere, but it's much more an X-Men fans delight. Um, you'll get a lot of love out of Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires, but I feel like if you're an X-Men fan, you are just going to like want to pour over this uh, time and time again. So I think I might give it the slight edge. What about you? For the record, I am not convinced in the slightest that Roy Thomas intended. What if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires to be a joke? No, I, and that's probably true. I, I honestly, Roy the boy's great. I don't think he was joking on this one. I thought he was doing, I thought he thought he was doing some neat ideas and they are <laughs> neat. They're also just unintentionally the funniest thing. <laughs> this can go right above it as our new number 55. Though. Nice. All right. I think uh, Chad and Chris would be happy with that ranking. Yeah. No one tell them. Uh, <laughs> no one tell them at all. Next up though, we have a story that's, of the same era, and also deals with blowing up Genosha, uh, but in a different way. This is Uncanny X-Men, Volume 4, Numbers 1 through 5, Survival of the Fittest. It's written by friend of the show, Colin Bunn, with art by Gregory Land. Is this Volume 4 or Volume 5? It's Volume 4, because Volume, volume 1 okay. is everything. Volume 2 is the Kieran Gillen stuff. Volume 3 is the Bendis stuff. Volume 4 is this. Volume 5 is... Disassembled, right? To Rosenberg? Disassembled. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, we got Greg Land back in the house. People are going to be smiling? 
Yeah, uh, let's just... I'm going to get this out of the way. Art's not great in this. I wanted it to be, because this is, this is a book that I was... I started the Xavier Files Media Empire uh, pretty much contemporaneously with the launch of Extraordinary X-Men. Mm. Interesting uh, time. It, it wasn't intended to be that way, but it was, like, right there. Yeah. Um, and so... Right after Secret Wars, the X-Men were in a bad place, I think is a fair assessment. It's one of the most fascinating, weird places in all of X-Men canon that I still... I it, It's almost baffling. Um, it's just a freaking mess. Yeah, just in terms of like, what is the direction? You know, we were just talking about Morrison coming in with such a clear idea of where things were going. And it's almost, you know, what's kind of ironic about this is that it's almost as if, like, I've always looked back on this and wondered why after Hickman sort of gave everybody a blank slate and allowed them to do whatever they want, there was not just some more courage to try something a little bit more radical, where... As what they ended up doing was really going back and relying on some of the things that came out of his Avengers and New Avengers run, especially this whole thing with the Terrigen Mists that came out of the Infinity uh, event, and it just talking be- about the Murder Cloud. Yeah, why? Why? Like you've reformed the entire Marvel universe. You don't need a Murder Cloud anymore, and yet, like that was the push. Let's go towards IVX. Like, uh, anyway. Um, Remember how have, hard they tried uh, to make the Inhumans happen when there were like three different concurrent Inhumans books? Uh, mm. And on top of that, there was a TV show that I've only seen the first and the last episode of, and it's the most atrocious thing. Yeah, it's got some pretty ridiculous CGI hair in it. Um it's not good. It should be good. Like, why not? The Inhumans as a as a concept could be interesting, but... I don't dislike the Inhumans. That's the thing. Like, the J. Lee, Paul Jenkins Inhumans, it, uh, it rules? Yeah. Let's, let's get that Royal Palace intrigue going. But, um, obviously they thought they had something on their hands that they did not. And, unfortunately, I think it mars this entire era because... I'm sure internally they were like, well, we know IVX is coming, so we got to talk about Terrigen Mist Clouds uh, through this whole era. And it's like, oh, God, why are we talking about this again? Um, well, well, I will say, while I don't prescribe to some of the more radical conspiracy theories around this, Jeff Lemire has said that, you know, this, this whole era on his Extraordinary X-Men book was pretty heavily ev- editorially driven. Oh, of course. Like, it was... You've, you've got to push in this way. This is what we're going to. These are the stories we're telling. And he did not like that. And it shows because he did some of the worst work in his career. And that's a shame because Jeff Lemire is amazing. I literally just got him in uh, Gabriel Hernandez Walta's new TKO Studios book, uh, Sentient. Mm. Uh, I read it I read it Tuesday night instead of recording this podcast. Uh, and you know what? Jeff Lemire's pretty good at comics, guys. Oh, yeah. You know who he else is good at comics? Is Cullen Bunn is really good at comics, and yet I like Cullen Bunn. His he, Magneto is what number nineteen on our list. Yeah, 
and he's he's still got Magneto here, um, but this is a very weird team of Psylocke, um, a re- recently axist uh, saber-toothed good guy. We've got an eternally smiling Monet for some reason, and a. Uh, uh, a I know what the reason is. It's that Greg Land likes to draw people smiling. And he I hate sure it. does. He he just loves those smiles. Um, and a drone-like Archangel who basically just gets unchained to go kill people. Uh, he's setting up things that I think really could be interesting later in this run. Um, we haven't even set up what this story is about. You want to just give no. a quick synopsis? Yeah, we should. <laughs> Uh, the story kind of starts almost in media res. Mm-hmm. Like, the Magneto and his X-Men uh, stop this shipment of mutants who have gone into cryosleep to wait out the Terrigen Mist thing. Which is never, like, in this in these five issues, never really defined what the heck's going on. No. And that's part... That's part of the problem in this era. They were trying to make a mystery about all this stuff. But no one cared about the mystery because we were actively mad about it. Well, and it doesn't help that the arc that follows this is Apocalypse Wars, um, which is a very, very, like, loosey-goosey story where I still don't really know what happened. Um, I really want to reread it because I just remember all of the Archangel stuff just kind of being nonsense. Oh, it was a lot of nonsense. Um, But But that has Ken Lashley art on it, it and that that stuff's pretty good. Yeah. so basically what we have is this team of uncanny X-Men. Magneto is not too keen about calling themselves X-Men um, who are tracking down the dark riders who are going around killing any mutant healer that, uh, that they can get their hands on. Yeah. The dark riders also known as those boring guys <laughs> who I don't like and whose designs Greg Land does not do a good job on. I will say, Greg Land's best panel on this entire book is when he gets to draw a muscle car. <laughs> like, I was looking at it and said, oh, you're really excited to draw this muscle car, aren't you, Greg? He's pretty good at the uh, the, the, the Velociraptor Dark Rider, too. Like, anything with, like, sharp teeth seems to have that under control. He does like sharp teeth and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's interesting. There's some there's some weird stuff. They go around uh, visiting a bunch of mutant healers. Uh, they try and stop the Dark Riders from killing Elixir, Josh Foley, and he dies for the second time in like I think a year. Yep. Uh, it works out. Turns out he can resurrect himself, so he's all good. Uh, then they try and get triage uh, from Bendis's X Men, who I remember liking seeing him again, like remembering. Him not getting immediately forgotten, as so often happens. <laughs> yeah, it was great to see Triage. Um, then he's basically used his bait uh, to, <laughs> to get the Dark Riders. And then and then there's basically a big fight in a pyramid. Well, there's one more, there, there's one more very good, very good healer that they go, they go and try and protect. And he says, no, nah, I'm good. Thanks, guys, though. Well, they kind of all say that. Uh, but Shenzorn says it the best. That's right. Shenzorn wants to know if anybody wants to have some tea. Do you want some uh, tea? I remember when that issue came out and I turned the page and Shenzorn was there. <laughs> and that was the secret member of the team that Cullen Bunn had been teasing. I flipped a lid and I said, yes, yes, yes. Give me more Shenzorn. 
I was very excited about it. Yeah. And Shenzorn, Shenzorn's my favorite part of this book, and he doesn't get enough love. No, he pops up again in the X-Men Blue run, too, but uh, he's never really put into action. Yeah, Bun had a good thing with Zorn and just didn't have the space to explore it, which is disappointing. Uh, but Zorn gets some good fight scenes here. There's some good dialogue that I like mm-hmm. in this. It feels like... I feel like in this, Bun is pushing against the inertia of the era as much as he can. Oh, I remember time. thinking when this came out that this was the best X book mm-hmm. uh, and team book, All New Wolverine, and then later Old Man Logan were both better. Uh, but I thought this was the best team book, and I was like, looking back at this, it may still actually be the best team book, and that's a rough proposition, friends. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, if you look at it, it's only 19 issues and you have the Apocalypse Wars push. So basically a stamp on the front of the cover that kind of defines what kind of a story is going to be in it. Um, And then you also have the IVX crossover issues. So, you know, that's that's six issues out of 19. And then you've got There's a, no space. Yeah. There's just no space in this thing. No, you can't you can't breathe. So, you know, the thing the takeaway that I remember the most about this was the the back and forth between Magneto and Psylocke, which I think is probably the most interesting thing that Bun's playing around with here. And he does a good job it, of introducing it, but it's mm-hmm. it's again, when you look at how that gets wrapped up, it's not he's not given the time to actually do it the way he probably wanted to. Right. And I Unfortunately, I think that's true for most of Bun's run on the Xbooks. I would I would love to see Cullen Bun do something where he got free reign, like similar to his Magneto run. Yeah, like carve him out, uh, carve him out just a little corner and say you can play with this. Uh, and I think it'd be there'd be interesting stuff. But in the same way, he also had like sixty issues of X Men stuff to tell a story, and for one reason or another. Uh, was never able to get it all the way out there. I think a lot of that did come from the fact that all of his books jumped from editorial story to editorial story to editorial story with small glimpses of good in mm-hmm. between. And that's that's unfortunate because he, he still has his grasp on Magneto. He does an interesting thing with Monet, even though I hate the way she's drawn and that, that colors everything that I see here. That's the uh, toughest. He has a subplot. That's the toughest. Is just the, her doing these like stupid flirty grins at Sabretooth throughout this whole thing, and it's like biting her thumb constantly. Oh god! It's like why? It's so it's so out of character for her, and it, it's not the writing. the The writing clearly indicates that it's supposed to be, you know, a conversation that Psylocke is picking up some vague subtext in. That the script clearly means, you know, that Psylocke is reading into the situation, but Greg Land reads that in the script and is like, ooh, let's make her smile, <laughs> bat her eyelashes, and it's like, that's not Monet. Yeah, so there's a lot to dislike here. Let's put it on the list. I, I'm sorry, Cullen. I feel bad about this one. Well, um, it's not his fault. You know, he's he's working under uh, some... Look, he still wrote it. He still wrote it. <laughs> Oh yeah, but but you know, as with anything, you're you're part of the time, you know, and, and the and the confines and the parameters that are around you. So, um, where are you looking on the list here? Um, well, I'm looking at this list. I'm trying to find where we've got some stories from that era. 
Uh, I like it better than. I can't find this thing. What are you looking for? I'm literally. We've done several bun things. Why? Why am I struggling with this? Well, we have uh, his Magneto arc very high on the list. Um, That's true. That this is okay. Not rising to that. X Men. The X Men Gold one shot is at 190, and I like the one shot better. I would agree with that. Um, that. Is this better or worse than one number 196 Uncanny X Men Quarantine, which has Greg Land art also? I don't know. I. I think I might like that better. You know, that that feels a little bit more fun to me and more of the era. Like, that was more of a clearly defined era to me with the, the San Francisco stories. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give I, the uh, edge to that. I think X-Babies is better at 204. I think Songs of the Orphan Child from X-23 at 218 is better. Um, is this better or worse than Deadly Genesis? That's... Hmm. I I would put it higher than. I'm looking at 222 Dakin Moonwalk. Um, and below that is Generation X 62 Monet Vampire Slayer. I think this is a better than both of those stories. I don't think it's better than the Age of Apocalypse from 2005, though. No, I don't either. I I, I think despite it being uh, written by a certain uh, editor-in-chief in a pseudonym mode, it is, uh, it's more fun with the, the uh, Bachelot art. So is this our new 222? This is 222, Uncanny X-Men, Survival of the Fittest. And that's a whole list. I'd like to thank Christian so much uh, for uh, doing doing this and passing passing it on if you want to be like him and go to patreon and help us out that's fine we're still in the process of revamping what patreon tiers are i'll be honest i didn't do anything i got very (laughs) busy having to write things about x-men yeah man stuff is happening we got we got x books coming out real fast yeah it's three for madness over at xavierfiles.com which is where you can find me and all of the you know whacked out stuff that i do we've got articles about all the x books uh three this week uh, three last week. Oh, no, it's only two for Madness this week. Uh, it's three for Madness the week that we're recording this. Yes. And then I think for most of the time afterwards, until we get up to the sixpence, none the richer, of <laughs> December 18th, where we get everything. Happy holidays, people. Mazel tov. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm also on Twitter, at Xavier Files. Uh, Adam, where can people find your brand? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy, And uh, I just want to thank everybody. Tomorrow at noon is uh, the deadline to order your copy of Vision Jubes, the trade paperback. Um, I just want to thank everybody that helped us get up and over the final stretch goal. Um, so if you do order a copy, if you're listening to this with enough time to order one, um, then you're actually getting 12 trading cards with your book, which is crazy to me. So, um, now we get into the nitty gritty of actually printing and and mailing all of this stuff. So, uh, uh, thank you once again to everybody. And, uh, I won't be talking about this much longer, except I'll probably give some quick updates about like shipping stuff out. That's a good, good strategy, Adam. Uh, just a quick note, if you enjoyed Boko No X anime, uh, there is a feed for that. It's at, I don't know, just freaking search Boko No X anime in podcast 
mode. You know how to do that, people. You're listening to a podcast. Do what you did with this, but with my other show, uh, it's delightful. Our uh, last episode talks about the U-Men, which are great. (laughs) Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking about some stuff. I'd give a spoiler hint, but uh, uh, the list... We gotta sort it out. We we stopped updating it, and now we're freaking out about what we do next. Don't send in suggestions unless I've sent you a message on Patreon, folks. <laughs> in which case, please send me in suggestions, or else I'm just gonna skip ya. Uh, Alright, so we have no idea what's happening next, and that is very exciting. But until then, this has been Val the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. <laughs>